Hi, I'm Marty McKenzie with His Love Ministries. Welcome to the Least of These Podcasts. We reach out to those the world has forgotten. If you'd like to know more about us and how you can donate to help us fulfill our mission, go to hisloveministries.net. Thank you very much and God bless you. John chapter 13 this morning and we're going to get back into verse 27 if you remember last week when I was here we talked about Jesus had started the the last supper and he had washed the feet of the disciples and and Peter had said no not mine and Jesus said "If if I don't wash you you can't have anything to do with me in other words that was fellowship not forgiveness for his sins because Peter had already been forgiven and he said not all of you are clean in other words not all of you are saved but and he was speaking about Judas of course he knew who it was and then as we saw last week that Jesus was troubled in his spirit because he said one of you is going to betray me he wanted to let them know that he knew all about it he didn't want them to get down the road and think, well, if Jesus is who he said he was and all these wonderful things, then how come he didn't know Judas was going to betray him? How come he didn't know all these things? And so he tells him that one of them is going to betray. And we remember last week we said that, that basically all the disciples says, is it's surely not I, Lord. But the only one that says something different is Judas. And he says, it is not I, Rabbi. He calls him teacher, not Lord. There's a distinction there. They've trusted him as Lord and Savior. But Judas still sees him as just a teacher. Peter motions to John and says, ask him who it is. Because John's sitting right there next to Jesus. And he says, ask him who it is. And he says, the one that I give the sop to... That is the one that's going to betray me. And Judas was sitting in the place of honor on his left-hand side. And he dips the sop and gives it to Judas. And that's kind of where we stopped stopped last week. And we want to start in verse 27 this morning. And it says, Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, What you do, do quickly. But no one at the table knew for what reason he said this to him. For some thought, because Judas had the money box, that Jesus had said to him, Buy those things we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. Having received a piece of bread, he then went out immediately, and it was night. What happens here is Jesus gives Judas the sop, the piece of bread, and he he dips it, he gives it to him, and at that moment Judas's fate is basically sealed. It says, Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. In other words, Satan possessed Judas because the Bible tells us that that the devil cannot possess a believer. He can harass us. He can give us a hard time, but he cannot possess a believer. 
but he entered into to Judas because Judas basically invited him in. You know, for Satan to come into your life and and really have a place in your life, you really have to invite him. And even as believers, we can allow him to have a place in our life, but he cannot enter into us and possess us and take over us. But the Bible tells us that Judas was a lost man because Jesus said, first of all, not all of you are clean. And remember, in John seventeen twelve, we haven't gotten there yet. But it says, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept. And none of them is lost except the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled. And everywhere I looked at that word perdition, some people seem to think that that Judas went to heaven. But Judas did not go to heaven. Judas went and hung himself. Yeah, he, he, he got upset about what he did and he went and threw the money at his defeat of the Pharisees but the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10 for godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation not to be regretted but the sorrow of the world produces death what did Judas do? he went and hung himself so the sorrow of the world produces despair and destruction and so he went and hung himself but Godly sorrow leads to repentance, leading to salvation. And so Judas, had, he was sorry, and he felt sorry for himself, but he did not make it to heaven. And I could read scripture after scripture. I actually have one, two, three, four, five, six sections, seven scriptures. But he says, like, I'll just read you a couple of them that tell you that every time that word perdition is used, it's talking about hell and damnation. Philippians 1.28 where he's talking about the Philippians tell them to uh, keep doing what they're supposed to do. And he says, And not any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. And then he talks about in Second Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 3, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And in the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, that's the Antichrist. And here's one I like, Hebrews 10.39. He says, but we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. So it's pretty clear that, that if you're uh, headed to perdition, that you're headed to hell. You're not headed to the right place. And the last one I really like is Revelation 17, 11. This last one I'll read. And he says, And the beast that was and is not and is himself also the eighth and is of the seven and is going to perdition. That's the Antichrist, the beast, false prophet, the beast, and the Antichrist. And remember those three are the false trinity during the tribulation. And they're all thrown into hell one day basically Judas is lost forever at that moment he makes a decision not to ever trust Christ because the minute he takes that bread he's making the decision to turn on Jesus you know and it's amazing because this is really Jesus' last act of love to Judas because he seats him in the place of honor he's the guest of honor 
And the guest of honor is always fed by the host, the person who feet, who puts on the banquet. And guess who's putting on the, the banquet? Jesus, right? The last act is he feeds him as the guest of honor. And he's saying one last time, Judas, you don't have to t- do this. You don't have to betray me. You don't have to go to hell. Turn and you'll be saved. That's basically what he's saying by honoring him and feeding him the bread and trying to show him his love. But all Jesus, Judas could see is the money. All Judas could see was he thought he was going to profit. And you know what the amazing thing is? Is because it says here, Then Jesus said to him, What you do, do quickly. In other words, Jesus is dismissing him from the time. Because see, this is the Last Supper. This is the time when Jesus is going to teach his disciples what they need to do to live after he is gone. Now, the disciples don't know what's going on. They think that he's telling them, as it says there, uh, some thought because Judas had money box that Jesus said to him, buy those things we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. Because a lot of times at this feast, they would give alms to the poor, and they would take care of them. And, and remember, Judas is trusted implicitly by the disciples because guess what? He's the guy that has the money box. And Jesus has given him that place, given him that opportunity to see whether he's going to trust God or trust money. Well, as the Bible says, you cannot serve two masters, right? You either serve one and hate the other. You cannot serve God and money. You either serve one or serve the other. And so basically... What he does is, is he goes out and Jesus is really dismissing him from the uh, twelve because he has things to say to them that guess what? He cannot say to Judas because Judas is not one of his disciples. Judas is not a saved man. Judas is not going to heaven. And so he has no place in what Jesus is about to say. Having received a piece of bread, verse 30, it says, He went out immediately, and it was night. And that's another reference. Remember, John loves that that reference to light and to dark. He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And then he goes on to talk about in him, verse 4, was life. And that life was the light of men. And he says, And the darkness could not comprehend it. In other words, he's talking about that that God is pure and holy and righteous. That's who God is, right? That's what light stands for. And light, darkness has been said to be the absence of light. And when do people do their evil deeds? Mostly at dark, right? Why? Because they're hiding. And and Jesus said in John 3.18, he talks about that men love darkness rather than the light. And so when... John says Judas went out and it was night. He's not just saying, oh, it happened to be night. What he was saying was Judas went out into the darkness of eternal hell forevermore. That's what he's saying. Because night speaks of impurity, unholiness, unrighteousness, error, and falsehood. And it speaks of evil. 
And that's what John is saying here. It was night. It will always be night for Judas because he turned his back on God, he didn't trust God, and he went out into an eternal hell when he hung himself on that place. It's good as done at this point. Let's start in verse 31. He says, So when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in Him. If God is glorified in Him, God will also glorify Him in Himself and glorify Him immediately. Have you noticed something here? You notice that word glorified and glory? The Son of Man is glorified. God is glorified. God is, if God is glorified, God will glorify Himself and will glorify Him immediately. Five times in two verses, that word glorify is written down there. And so Jesus is beginning to tell them as He leaves, He's beginning to tell them this is the beginning of the upper room discourse where He's going to tell the disciples everything they need to know while He is gone out of this world after He gets hung on the cross and they need to know what's going on. And so from now on through chapter 17, we'll see all the things that we need to know to live as Christians. All the things that that God wants us to understand so that we might glorify Him as Jesus says He's glorified Him. And so what does He do? He says, now the Son of Man is glorified. What, what does that mean? Now the Son of Man is glorified. And so what happens here? Now, Jesus doesn't say that like, oh, now the Son of Man is glorified. He says that with joy because the Bible tells us in Hebrews that God, He did this with joy, right? He willingly was hung on the cross. He willingly died for the joy that was set before Him. What is the joy? That we get to go to heaven. Because He died on the cross, we get to go to heaven. And and this was the dilemma of the Old Testament prophets. They just did not understand how this glorious King could also be the suffering servant. And so they did not understand. And today the Jews are still looking for Jesus. Did you know that? They're still looking for Jesus because they were looking for a glorious king. That's why when Jesus, remember in chapter 12, remember what happened? They were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, here comes the king. And what was Jesus doing? He wasn't riding a white stallion, this beautiful white horse coming as a conquering king. He was riding a donkey, and he was humble, and he was lowly, and he was weeping as he came into Jerusalem. Why? Because they didn't understand. They were looking for a king. And he was coming as a servant to die on the cross. He had to die before he could come back as king. And they didn't understand that. The way God is glorified is through everything that Jesus does. That includes him coming to earth as the Son of Man. What is the Son of Man? That speaks of Jesus' humanity, but it also speaks of His godliness and it, and it speaks of, it, it unites the idea of suffering and glory. And this is the last of the 12 times that, that John uses this title. And, and so what happens? It speaks of the fact that when Jesus comes to earth, 
He lives that perfect, sinless life. He's glorifying God. It says in John one eighteen, and we beheld uh, John one fourteen, and we beheld His glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so every time we see Jesus, every time He does a miracle, every time He serves God, we see God's glory. Every time we read about who Jesus is and what He did while He was here on this earth, that's speaking about God's glory. But then, guess what? That glory also includes Him dying on the cross. It includes that being shamed and hung on the cross and and dying in that place. You remember we spoke about these verses back in uh, during Christmas where we went to Philippians chapter 2. And we read over there in Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 through 11 and he talked about, he said, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. But he did what? He made himself of no reputation. He took the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man and being found in the appearance as a man He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, those in heaven, those on earth, and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to what? The glory of God the Father. See... God is most glorified when we live for Him. God is most glorified when we do the things that are pleasing to Him. When we're not fighting and bickering and and doing the things that we like to do as human beings, but when we show the world that we're different by the way we live. That's the way God is glorified. That's what Jesus did. Every time Jesus spoke, every time Jesus said, I'm not going to do my will, but the will of the Father, He was glorifying God the Father. That's the way we glorify God the Father. And basically He's saying here that Jesus, He's glorifying the Father. He said if God is glorified in Him, in other words, if God is glorified by what Jesus does, then God will also glorify Himself by Himself. He's going to glorify Himself and and glorify Him immediately. So basically, what He's saying is no matter all the things that happen through Jesus dying on the cross, through Him being buried, through Him being resurrected, through everything that happens, God is going to be glorified. God is doing all of this. He's not caught off guard. He's not saying, oh no, Jesus is going to the cross. What are we going to do now? He knows this has been planned from eternity past. This is what they planned to do because they wanted to see that we would go to heaven because they knew we would be sinful beings. The way God is glorified is through the way Jesus lives and the things He does. And so what does He say here in verse 33? Little children... I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and and as I said to the Jews, where I'm going, you cannot come. So now I say to you. So then he gives them a new commandment. But let's deal with this section right here first. So Jesus says, 
I'll be with you a little longer. Now, Jesus told the Jews in, in John chapter 7 and John chapter 8, one place He told them, I'm going away and you'll look for Me, but you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. And in another place, He tells them that you will look for Me and you will not find Me, and where I am, you cannot come. But He's not telling them that. He's kind of saying something like that. But what does He first do? He addresses them as little children. Now, I was understanding, reading something yesterday, listening to something yesterday, and basically what would happen at this feast, the Father would... would he would be the head of the feast and he would invite his children to ask him questions and, and open up the floor for questions about anything about God and all these things. And that's basically what Jesus is doing is he's referring to these disciples as little children, dear children. He's referring to them as believers. You know, John uses that term in First John. He, over and over and over again, he says, little children, little children. And what he's referring to is, first of all, that we're believers. Second of all, that we belong to him. That we're his children. He's going to care for us. He's going to protect us. And he's inviting them to ask the questions. He's going to teach them the things they need to know to grow up, to be the Christians that they need to be. And so he says, little children. It's, of course, a term of endearment. And then he says, I shall be with you a little longer. You will seek me, and where I'm going, you cannot come. But but they will be able to come one day. But guess what? He told the other Jews, he says, y'all can't come because you're going to die in your sins. But here he just says, I'm going to leave. You cannot come right now, but i got some things to tell you. And so he begins to tell them, In verse 34, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. So basically Jesus says, Look, no matter what happens over the next 24 hours, love one another. No matter what happens, love one another. And of course, this begins all the one another statements, right? What does the New Testament say? Love one another, encourage one another, be patient with one another, admonish one another, rebuke one another, teach one another, and on and on and on. And this is the way we're supposed to relate to each other as believers. From the time Jesus goes to the cross and dies on the cross, that's how we're to treat each other, right? We're supposed to ignore our petty differences. We're supposed to ignore the way we look, the things that we do to aggravate each other, and we're supposed to love one another as what? Jesus says, as I have loved you. What does He say? It's a new commandment. Now, when Jesus says it's a new commandment, I could go over to 1 John chapter 2, and, and John says, I give you a new commandment. But it's not a new commandment, it's an old commandment, but I give you a new commandment. In other words, what was the old commandment? The old commandment was in in Leviticus 19.18, to love your neighbor as yourself. Now remember those key words, as yourself. What does Jesus say? Love one another as I have loved you. Not love your neighbor as you love yourself. But love them as I have loved you. 
Now, how did Jesus love us? He died and went to the cross. When we start chapter uh, 11 or 12, he says he loved his disciples to the end, to the uttermost. He gave himself totally and completely for us. He died for us. He died in our place. He knew who we are, and yet he died for us. I don't know what y'all have done in y'all's life, and maybe hopefully all of y'all got saved when y'all were younger and trusted the Lord and I've done things I'm not proud of in my life. I'm sure we all have. And, you know, there's some people out there who have done some really horrible things. But God died for those folks too, right? He died for everybody. And He knew all the things we would do. The old song says when, I, when He was on the cross, I was on His mind. Probably the most thing that was most uppermost in His mind was the glory of God. But He was also paying for our sins. Because He knows every single one of our sins. He knows our thoughts before we think them. He knows everything. And so Jesus says, Love one another as I have loved you. Today, I think that's a good message for our church because out there in the world today, what are so many people doing? Fighting and arguing over silly things, over you know all kinds of things in the church. And then what do people do? People don't want anything to do with the church. Why? Because they say they're no different than we are. But let's talk about this commandment. He says, I give you a new commandment. Now what Jesus was saying was he said the old command was was to love God and to love your neighbor, right? Those were the old commandments. But how is it new? It's new when Jesus uses this word new. It means fresh. You know, it's sort of like Here's the new and improved tide. Well, guess what? Here's the new and improved love. Don't love each other as you love yourself. Love yourself as Jesus loved you. He died for you. He was willing to do anything for you, even though He knew who you are. And I know we're, most of the time we're sweet people, but sometimes we can be the other way, right? And you know what? Jesus knew every single thing about us, and yet He still loved us to the end. He still died on the cross for our sins. The newness was an extent that He totally, completely gave Himself and died for us. And He died for the disciples. And you know how this love comes out? It comes out as a supernatural love, right? We talked about it over the Christmas holidays. Romans 5 says that we love... Because of the Holy Spirit who was poured out in our heart. That He has shed His love abroad in our heart. In other words, we have the love of God in our heart because He put His Holy Spirit in us. The Bible tells us in 1 John that we love because what? He first loved us. And so He gives us a supernatural love. Jeremiah 36 and 31 and and all these other places talking about how God is going to give us a new heart he'll take out that heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh and and we'll be able to love and to do things that we couldn't do before it's new because it's a supernatural love it's hard to love people anyway right because we're pretty hard to get along with i know i am sometimes and i know my wife has to do a lot to to love me sometimes 
Like a buddy of mine, he says, I'm just thankful that my wife loves me and sticks with me. You know, sometimes we can be hard to get along with and, and to be loved by somebody, no matter who we are, during our hard times, our painful times, during our sick times, during the tough times. And some people, just hard to get along with all the time. You know what I mean? And those people are really difficult to love, but Jesus tells us to love everybody, to pray for those who curse you and despitefully use you. Love those people. Love your enemies. He says in verse 35, By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. So basically, the way we prove that we're really Christians is by the way we love each other. By the way we care for each other. By the way we do things for each other. Yes, we love the world. We love other people's kids, but we love our own kids with a special love, right? There's a special bond. There's a special love between Christians and other Christians. I don't know if you've ever been anywhere and just started talking to somebody and you just felt this bond, this something immediate camaraderie, this friendship, this fellowship. You know, and you say, man, it's just something I like about that person. And then a little bit later on down the road, what do you do? You find out that they're a Christian. Have you ever done that before? I used to work with a guy all the time, and he was a good guy. He's, I mean, I'd go to him, and it was like I was always running to him, and I, I was always so busy at that point, I was doing two jobs. This guy had quit his job. He just didn't show up one day. And he left us in the hole, and I was the only guy that knew anything about what he was doing. And so I had a full-time job, and then I was working his job, too. And between that job and the other job, I was running my head off. I didn't even get to take lunch most of the time. I'd run by this guy, and I'd say, hey, so-and-so, can you do this for me? And when I get focused on something, I'm not one of these people that I just... Some people like... Hey, Miss Fireball, how you doing today? It's good to see you. How's the kids? Everything wonderful? And, and then they'll talk to you a few minutes and they say, Oh, by the way, did you get that thing done that I need to get done? I'm kind of one of these people that I've come up and I'm like, I'm like when I'm going to get things done mode, I'm not real you know, into all the niceties of life. I just run up and I go, Did you get that thing done that I was asking to get done? Or can you do this for me? And I don't mean nothing by it. I'm just in that mode of getting stuff done, right? And I'd run by there all the time and I'd say, Hey, Randy, can you get this done for me? Can you get this done for me? Can you do this? Man, he just, bam, bam, he'd get it done for me. And I used to say, you know, I never really got to stop and talk to that guy. But I say, there's something I like about that guy. I don't know what it is. And then one day after I'd left the company and I was doing ministry, I got an email from him. And I found out that he he was a Christian. I said, that's what it was I liked about that guy. But I never got to stop long enough really to talk to him because he was always busy and I was always busy. And we never just really sat down and talked. But I knew there was something I liked about him and apparently he must have liked me too because he, everything I ever asked him to do, he'd always bam, 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 get it done just immediately. And that's the way it is that people will know because we love each other. We have a special bond between each other. And there ought to be a special bond between y'all here and, and, and that love that God has 
for us has been shed abroad in our hearts and we share it with each other. Well, I'm going to stop right there and then we'll finish up the rest of this section next week. I guess I didn't finish up those last three verses, so now I can't finish up the three verses this week. We'll wait the next week. Just remember... In spite of all this that's going on, God is in control. God knows what's going on. Jesus knows. He's not taken off guard by any of it. And so when life gets you down, when circumstances get you down, just remember, God knows everything. He wasn't caught unaware by what's going on in your life and my life. He knows it all. And in the midst of it all, we can look to Him and live for Him and He'll be glorified and then we can love each other and care for each other and when we do that, God is glorified. Just remember, everything that we do has an impact on God. Did you know that? Everything we do has an impact on God. And somebody's always watching us, right? Especially if we proclaim to be Christians and people want to know They're always looking for us to mess up. Say, oh, yeah, look what he did and he calls himself a Christian. Well, I never claim to be perfect, but I am supposed to live in such a way that others can look at my life. As the Bible says, let your light show shine. Your purity, your holiness, your righteousness, your good ways of living, let them be shown that our Father in heaven might be glorified. That's what we're to do just as Jesus did. Well, let's pray and we'll close. Father, we love You and we thank You and we just ask today that You would be glorified. And then one day, as You said in Romans chapter 8, that those You called and You sanctified, You justified, one day You will glorify us. And we have been given a bit of Your glory now because we get to speak to You and talk with You. We can walk with You and talk with You and and you tell us that we're your own and the joy that we have and as we spend time with you, Lord, other folks that don't know you don't have. And so, Lord, I pray today that you would help us to love each other, to glorify you, and to trust in you no matter what happens in this life. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Hi, I'm Marty McKenzie with His Love Ministries. Please help us reach out to those the world has forgotten. Everyone we minister to is locked up in some way, shape, or form. Those in the nursing home facilities are locked up in bodies that do not work in a wheelchair or in a bed. We minister to children and youth who are locked up because of behavioral problems. Some have told us we want to have a real family because their parents have lost or given up custody of them. Other kids are locked up because they've committed crimes. We also minister to those locked up at the jails and the prisons, to those locked up in addictions, to drugs, alcohol, depression, and suicidal thoughts, to those locked up in a variety of other things that keep them from becoming who Jesus wants them to be. He came to give us abundant life, joy, and set us free, and these people that we minister to are not free. Our desire is to show them whatever their background, no matter what they've done, to see how much God loves them. We seek to help them receive forgiveness and freedom from their sin in Jesus Christ. We minister in the local area of Savannah, Georgia, and surrounding Effingham and Chatham area. We have recently expanded our ministry to 
to the Lexington, Columbia, South Carolina area. We do over 2,000 services every year. We hope and pray that you will support us in some way that so we can continue our mission. Go to hisloveministries.net and click on the Donate Now button or send it via regular mail to Post Office Box 1881, Lexington, South Carolina, 29071. We hope and pray that you will do that. Thank you and God bless you. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. John 8.32